thought I'd start with a story. About uh, three and a half years ago, um, Emily was pregnant with Zach. We were all look, both looking forward to becoming parents for the first time. And, uh, and there was a lot of expectation, and we were quietly confident about being, being new parents. We were r- really looking forward to it. And then it happened, and by it, I mean antenatal classes. Uh, we, we went along to this class, and um, they sat us down, and they were talking. In, in, in antenatal classes, you have to understand, they talk about baby, uh, not his, him or her, they say baby and mommy and daddy, and that's, that's the language they use. And so they were teaching us about after the baby had been born, and so they were saying, and, and when the baby's delivered, uh, we'll, we'll wrap, wrap baby in towels and we'll give it to mommy, uh, and, and mommy can hold it. And then they go on and they say, and you'll want to you know, take, take the towels away and have a look at your baby, uh, but if you let your baby get too cold, they'll die. Hey. Okay. And so they carry on and they say, so you've got to make sure that they're wrapped up, wrapped up okay. And then, and then when you're ready to take baby home, you've got to get them dressed in a little hat and their little mittens and make sure they're all nice and warm because you're going to be taking them outside. But if they get too hot, they won't be able to tell you and they'll probably die. Right? Okay. That was pretty much how it went, wasn't it? So we came into the antenatal classes feeling quietly confident about being new parents. We left full of worry and dread and that, uh, that we were going to screw this up rather badly. Um, thankfully, our children are, uh, are, are still here, so we, we didn't, haven't done too badly so far. But, uh, yeah. Worry, something that we all experience. We all experience worry at one point or another in our lives. But why do we worry? What's the reason behind it? The reason we worry is insecurity. Insecurity. Let me set the scene for you. We've had a a, a brilliant story this morning, and and we've also had a brilliant reading, and we're going to use both bits of Scripture uh, at at the start this morning. But let me set the scene for you for both both of those bits of Scripture. In Matthew, what we've just heard Ave read... The scene was, as as Sue said last week, that the disciples were being taught by Jesus, but there was also a crowd of people around Jesus at this time as well. And and these people and the disciples had given you know the disciples had given up everything to follow Jesus. These people were were were, were poor and they were uh, they were they were shepherds and they were farmers and they were probably a lot of them uneducated. These were poor people surrounding Jesus. These weren't the rich and the powerful and the famous people that were surrounding him. And these were people who were, who were under the control of the Roman government. They were taxed heavily. They were taxed unfairly. So, so life was tough for these people. And then Jesus comes along and he says, don't worry about money. Don't worry about chasing after food. Don't worry about chasing after clothes. Wow, that's, that's bold, isn't it? That's bold to say to a group of people who are poor and who are struggling. What about the passage in Luke? passage in Luke, two men are fighting over uh, the inheritance. The one guy comes and says, Jesus, tell my brother to divide, divide his inheritance with me, share his inheritance with me. And Jesus tells them this parable about this guy who, who has a bumper crop one year, a farmer who has a bumper crop one year, and decides he's going to rip down his old barns, build up new barns, and store all the, all the excess uh, crop that he has made, and he's going to take life easy, and he's going to enjoy life, and you know, uh, be, be happy. And Jesus says that God calls him a fool for storing away all that stuff. Well, hang on a second. That that sounds like 
a sensible saving plan, doesn't it? Or good retirement planning. It's, it's quite challenging what, what Jesus says and quite controversial what Jesus says to these people. Insecurity is a dangerous thing because what it causes us to do is live in survival mode. And the thing is that about survival mode is that the thing that we deem most important to our survival is the thing that becomes the agenda of our lives. So in survival mode, if if I deem that money is the most critical factor in my survival, then that is going to consume my life. I am going to go after money. I am going to try and get as much money as possible because that is where my security is. If If I deem my security to be based in food, then my whole life is going to be about accumulating food or storing food or having food or having enough food. That is where my security comes from. And so that becomes the agenda for my life. And you know, I found in my own life, and I use myself as an example in, in the next bit that I'm about to share, but I found that it, it, it sort of uh, comes out in two different ways, two different areas. Um, and I've titled these The Hunter and The Hoarder. Okay? The hunter is always trying to get more, is never satisfied. He, they're the go-getters. They're the ones that fight to get what they, what they deem is needed for their survival. They're willing to sacrifice their own well-being or even possibly the well-being of others to get what they need. They find seeking security in the things that they pursue. And that's really who, what, what Jesus was addressing in Matthew. He was saying, don't seek after these things. You're seeking after these things because you think they're going to provide you with security in life. The hoarder, on the other hand, stores away and saves. The hoarder sees little need in in relationships with other people or with communities because actually they find their security in the stash that they've got, whatever it might be, money, food, clothes, technology, status, it doesn't matter whatever they've got. And, and in fact, when that, when that stash gets affected, when it gets devalued or when they lose some of it or some of it gets stolen, then their whole foundation of life gets shaken because that's where, that's where their security is. And you know, irrelevant of whether it's a, a hunter mentality for you or a hoarder mentality for you, Jesus has the same message. You're looking in the wrong place for your security. So why does Jesus care about security? I love this verse, I wanna share it with you, John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, this is Jesus speaking, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's Jesus' purpose for coming, in a nutshell. We support, uh, Emily and I, we support a charity called World Vision, uh, and World Vision primarily look after um, uh, children in, in conflict zones and children uh, in, in poor areas, that their main work is based around children and their families. And it was interesting for me to see the way World Vision has been responding to the Syria crisis that's been unfolding uh, for, for quite a while now. Um, and they, as I say, they deal with children. And you would think, well, a lot of the charities are taking aid to people, they're taking food to people, they're taking clothes to people, they're taking blankets to people, things that enable people to survive in those environments. And they're all well and good, and they're all very important. But what World Vision did was different. They took children, and they took them to safe areas. And when they were in safe areas, not only did they, they feed them and clothe them, but they also gave them play areas and they allowed them to color in, and they gave them education, and they had fun with them. 
And you could look at that and say, well, maybe, maybe that's not a good use of the money. Maybe for, for the money they spend on that, you could buy much more food to give out to people or, or much more, many more clothes to give out to people. So why do they do it? They do it because they recognize, just like it's the same with any child, that a child that grows up in a secure, safe environment actually develops and grows and experiences life. The fact is that survival is not the full life that Jesus promised. Survival is not the full life that Jesus promised. So the enemy would love us to waste our time on the things that the world offers us to survive, to, to gain that false sense of security. But Jesus came to tell us that life can actually only be achieved, can only be experienced in true security, and that that true security is given through the Father. And that actually, through it, Jesus brings about life and growth in our lives. That's the, that's the defining factor, isn't it? Life and growth. And so, he brings this promise at the end of this passage that we've, we've read. In verse 33, this is the promise. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's the promise he brings. And it's the promise that we're going to focus on for, for the rest of what I'm going to say this morning. But in it, Jesus is calling us to look, at, look for a new place to find our security. To find a place which no longer is about just surviving, but is a place where that we can experience life. And so I've got some thoughts on this that for, for Bridge North Baptist Church, for us today, um, that I felt challenged about in my life based on this promise. And the first one that I've got written down here is this. Seeking requires movement. Seeking requires movement. So, my son, Zach, is now three years old. Great age, because it's an excuse for me to be able to buy toys that actually I want, uh, rather than him. And, and you'll find this with, with, with fathers um, all over the place, that actually that there's something that they really enjoy playing with. So it might be model railways, it might be sports equipment, it might be uh, remote control cars. For me, for me, it's Lego. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big Lego fan, I like Lego. And uh, we were, last weekend we were at my parents' house and I happened to mention this to my mom and she said to me, oh well we've got one of your old Lego sets upstairs, would you like to take it home with you and you can, you can play with Zach with it? Oh yeah, brilliant, that sounds like a really good idea. So I had this romantic idea that we would go home and Zach and I would sit and we would, we would play Lego together. So, let me set the scene for you. We're at home, we've got this big Lego set. I say to Zach, come on Zach, come and sit up at the, uh, the kitchen table and we'll, we'll play Lego together. And I get out this set and it's, it's all jumbled up. So I, I sort out all the pieces and I put them into, into different tubs, color coordinated. Rosemary's laughing because she knows this is exactly what I'm like. And, and so we've got all the yellow bits in here and all the gray bits in here and the black bits here and the white bits here. We've got an instruction manual out here and I'm, I'm ready, I'm ready. And I say, Zach, come on, you come and play with me. You come and sit there. Uh, and so this is how it goes. I'm, I'm building the model. And out of the corner of my ear, I hear this. And I say, Zach, what are you doing? And he said, oh, Daddy, I'm, I'm playing with the Lego. Oh, no, sweetheart, you can't play with the Lego. No, um, just, you know, you might lose some of the bits, and then we're going to build the model. P play, you know, that, that's fine. Have fun. W watch me build it. And you sit there, and you watch me build it. So, so he sits down, and we carry on playing. Zach, what are you doing? 
Zach, if you can't learn to play with this properly, we're going to have to put it away because clearly this, you know, we're not going to be able to, this, this goes up. In Venice, actually, I did donate the finished model to him and he he's playing with it. I've left him alone after that point, but, but yeah, it was, it was fun. <laughs> We're a, bit, we're a bit like that, you know, sometimes. We, we like to have everything in different boxes. We like to have different people in different boxes. We like to have God's kingdom and God's righteousness wrapped up in different boxes and, and, and set aside. We like to know the kind of people who are coming to church or the kind of people that we're working with or the kind of people that we would socialize with. And we, we, we segment them into, into different boxes. And, you know, every so often... Every so often, someone will come or something will happen which breaks the mold, which, which messes up the boxes. And it's almost like it's God's design. But wait, it is God's design. Paul writes, doesn't he, about uh, us being a body but being many different parts. We're, we're all different. We're all different. Uh, it's part of God's design. And it struck me that if we want to live in a secure way, we want to live out that promise, and we're gonna be seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness, that it actually involves movement, but not just physical movement or, or, or movement in, in, geographically. It involves movement in our hearts. It involves us to allow God to say to us, you need to move on this or move on that that's in your heart that's not right. I want you to move to here. It means moving from prejudices. It means moving from scars and hurts. Moving from sin and from, from selfish desires. And it means moving to the acceptance of people. Moving to security. Moving to the needs of others rather than our own needs. So the first challenge I have is that to live out that promise, we need to be willing to move. We need to be willing to have movement in our lives. Secondly, it's God's agenda. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We need to seek when we, sorry, when we seek our own security, what we find is actually we're seeking our own agenda. If we're seeking the security that God provides, we need to lay down our agenda and we need to pick up God's agenda instead. I was really inspired by a story that I read, a true story. You've probably, a lot of you will be aware of this book, Run Baby Run by, by Nikki Cruz. I, I never read it as a teenager. I've, I've only recently read it um, in, the last, uh, in the last couple of months. Incredible book, but for those of you who don't know what it's about, um, Nikki Cruz um, is a perfect example of a child who grew up in a very insecure uh, and, and very difficult and very um, destructive upbringing. Um, and eventually he finds himself on the streets of New York uh, and in, involved in the gangs there and eventually becomes a, a gang leader um, in there. And it's a very, it's a very graphic book, I'll, I'll say that, about the violence uh, that they, they go through in these gangs and the things that they get up to. But eventually, um, eventually Jesus gets hold of his life um, and it, Jesus turns his life around. And then he feels that God is leading him to go back to these gangs in New York, a lot, of, a lot of the members of which still know him and still remember what he was like beforehand, and to preach the gospel to these people in these gangs. And there's something incredible that happens a couple of times in the book when he's gone back, where God tells him, I want you to pursue this person uh, and I want you to tell them the gospel. And what he does is he goes back to his hotel room or his apartment and he sits down and all night, he prays for that person all night. I mean, people are lucky if they get an hour's prayer out of me for, for, for their various different people, but this guy prays all night for, for, for this person. And then he goes out in the morning 
and meets this person and within the space of a morning, this person gives their life to Christ. It's an incredible testimony to the power of prayer, but also it's an incredible testimony to him laying down his own agenda and his own well-being in order to pick up the agenda that God has for him. God has an agenda for you, God has an agenda for me in our lives, but we can't run with two agendas simultaneously. We can't run with our agenda and his. We've got to choose, we've got to choose to lay down ours and pick up his, and that, that's a challenge. Thirdly, in this promise, it's about the journey. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. Having a relationship with God is not like having a relationship with Google, okay? People often say, I've talked to a number of people about Jesus and talked to another people about my faith. And a lot of people actually get to a point where they say, well, I'm challenged by that and I'm inspired by that, uh, but, but I've got all these questions and they're not answered. So I can't possibly make a commitment until I've got all these answered questions. You know, if you want answers to questions, immediate answers to questions, Google is great. Works really, really well. I enjoy using Google. You throw in a question, it'll give you out an answer straight away. It didn't help with the not quite open mic night, so it failed there. But generally, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Relationships work differently, don't they? They work differently. I think about my daughter, Ellie. She's almost one year old, one year old now. She'll be one in January. And I think about my relationship with her, um, which has grown over these past uh, almost 12 months. And... Uh, does Ellie know that I'm her dad? Yes, I think she probably does. Does she recognize me? Yes, yes she does. Do we enjoy spending time together? Yes, we do. Is it a benefit to both her and to me to spend time together? Yes, it is. Does she know my name? No, she doesn't. Does she know how old I am? No, she doesn't. Does she know what I do for a job? No. She doesn't. Does she know uh, what my weaknesses or my strengths are? No, she doesn't. Does she know uh, what my successes or my failures are in life? No, she doesn't. In fact, when you sum up what she knows about me, it is tiny. It is insignificant, the amount that she knows about me. And yet, we love having a relationship with one another. It's really important. God invites us into a relationship with him. And through that relationship, he invites us on a journey of life. He doesn't promise that you can throw in a question and he'll give out an answer and that's the way it's going to work. He invites us to be in, involved in relationship with him. And actually, it's through that relationship, it's through that journey that he provides the security that we so desire, the security that we so need in order to flourish and grow. And my challenge to you really is that would you make that commitment to journey with him even though, even though you might not get all the answers you need? Will you, will you go on that journey accepting that he is going to provide our security and what we need, a true security that we can have and grow and, and live through? But we might not get the answers and we might not even get the answers when we get to the destination. But actually it's through that journey that, that we grow, spending time with him. I'm going to finish with this. There are, there are a few certainties in life, aren't there? Um, one of them, however, is that th this life will end for, 
for all of us. One day, this journey is going to end for each of us in different ways, different times. And another is that we have this present moment. We, the past is gone. The future is unknown. But we have this present moment now, today. And you know, God is calling us today, each and every one of us. The Holy Spirit is here working in this room, in your hearts today. I believe that. I've been praying for that. I have faith that that's happening now. That when God challenges us about where we're trying to find our security, we can move on that today. That if God is challenging you in your heart that maybe you've been placing too much security in, in, in the things that you're trying to get or the things that you've already got, maybe he's, he's calling you to, to replace your security in him. Or maybe you've never met him. Maybe you've never known what it means to have life through, through believing in Jesus. Come and know him today. You can, you can find out more about him by speaking to me or speaking to Graham or speaking to any of the leaders you've seen here or any of the people here, most of the people here. But, but you actually don't need us to find Jesus. You can actually pray right now and say, Jesus, will you come and reveal yourself to me? Will you come into my life? And that's all it takes. And Jesus, Jesus is there. So that's my challenge to you. I'm going to leave you with the words, a quote from, from one of my favorite films, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, Master Uguay, that's what I'm leaving you with. Yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, but today is a gift. That is why it's called the present. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your gift of life. Jesus, thank you that you did come with that purpose in mind, that we could have a full and true experience of life. That's, a, that's an experience where we walk in relationship with you, God. And so, Father, we pray that if we, have, if we have been walking in full senses of a security, if we have been chasing after the wrong things, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us now, that you challenge us on that, um, and that we would be able to enjoy true life and come back to you and come to see you. Father, I just pray that that would really sink into people's hearts, and that they would know the fullness of life with you. They would know the fullness of walking with you on a journey of life, that they would have a willingness in their hearts to move, uh, and that they would just enjoy that fruitfulness that comes from being with you. We pray that in Jesus' name this morning. Amen.